Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, A Song of Ice and Fire, Episode 79, John, Chapter 13 of A Dance with Dragons. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. You might know me from the internet as Lies and Arbor on Twitter, Tumblr, and liesandarborgold.com. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. You might know me as Glass Table Girl on Reddit. Maybe you know me, though, as Arithmetric on Twitter. But also... Maybe you don't know her at all. You also might not know me at all. But you probably do know. Does anyone really know me? Except for, I don't know, Chloe and this other, our very special guest, Shelly. <laughs> hello, hello. You guys might know Shelly from her Hot Thrones takes on the internet on Twitter, at the Lady Shelly. You might know her as the Lady Shelly. Pretty much on Twitter, or as the world's biggest Pats fan. Yes, that's me. <laughs> You're like, I identify as that one. Yes, I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, God, Shelly, I, I was even going to introduce you as the Page of Many Faces, a very popular Facebook meme blog that died. Wow. Rip. <laughs> oh, it did. It did. I think life killed it. I think we're all adults, and it's hard to run a meme page as an adult. <laughs> Yes, yes, it definitely. They were is. the nights of spring, of summer. We had some amazing memes, though. Yeah. One day we'll we'll resurrect them. If the page of many faces, right, is inspired by the god of many faces, which is death, and life killed it, there's something there. There's something there. I think you figured out something, something. there. That's Endgame, actually. Wow, we're in the <laughs> Endgame now. I think that's the first galaxy brain, and we just started. <laughs> well, we're really excited to have you on, Shelley. We could not have. Anyone else on except the biggest Jon Snow fan to kill Jon with us. I also identify as that. <laughs> Not a killer, but a big fan. Uh, yeah, we are going to kill Jon together, all three of us, though. So, Well, on a lighter note, we have some exciting news happening. This is the last Jon Snow chapter. We will have a little bit of an outro at the end where we kind of discuss, uh, I don't know, the stakes. What, what happens after you kill your hero, right? But first, the next... A Song of Ice and Fire episode we do will not be a John episode, will it, Eliana? It will not be a John episode, in fact. It will not be a Theon episode because we already did that. <laughs> Nor will it be a Ned episode, even though deep down inside maybe everything's a Ned episode. It's going to be a Jamie Lannister episode. <gasps> yes! Oh, my god. There's a method to our madness. That is so exciting. I can't wait. Yes. I uh, I don't know. I think it's a good progression, right? From Theon to John to Jamie. All these kind of young dreamers with their dashed hopes and what they became. But before then, we got to wrap up and finish killing Jon Snow. <sighs> Rip. Not ready. You know, we did get an email from one of our patrons, uh, Weed Detective Wolfman Zack, who asked, would you guys consider doing episodes on epilogue or prologue or otherwise limited POVs as palate cleansers between major POVs? Just curious. Love, weed detective. Interesting question. You know what? I think we're gonna, we're just gonna keep going and you're gonna find out. Yeah, we have thought about what we're going to do for the epilogues and prologues already, so. Don't worry, we have thought about all of this in length. In all due time, my children, it will all be revealed. All of it. We got a tweet from TFCNU. Yes, who, who has a number at the end of the actual Twitter handle, TFCNU2. In reference to last episode in which Chloe and I venture into the world of 
larger families. How do they work? Shelly's here to explain all of this to us, which is good. <laughs> yeah, but- so <laughs> Shelly, in last episode, uh, we talked about there is someone of the free folk who is technically I can't even explain it. So there <laughs> I will I will explain. So so last Harls. episode there were these two Harls who are related to one another and they have both had children with the same woman and Tormund Giantsbane is insistent that they are cousins and we realize no they're brothers and yeah TFCNU makes the great point that it's porkinolostos yes children born to the same mother are half brothers but if their fathers are cousins they are also cousins they are both which is inspired mind blowing <laughs> You know what this reminds me of? You know the little taco commercial where they're fighting over the hard shell and the soft shell, <laughs> and the little girl goes, why not both? Exactly. That's it. It's both. And then they put her on their shoulders. Yes, and they're super excited, and she saves the day because, you know. Thank you, TFC and you, too, for explaining this to us, because I just, I'm still baffled, and I'm baffled by this commercial, and I'm baffled by the these children and these half-cousin brother children. And I guess when I think about it, the Starks baffle me too. So I'm just going to be baffled, and instead of talking about my bafflement, we are going to jump into our lightning round. Shelly, you know the rules of the lightning round. We talk about the chapter. It's kind of fast. We go, we go, 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 and we get to John, and then we talk about John. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's do it. This is the moment. Everyone dreams up, right? I don't know. I dream of it all the time. I'm like, what the fuck am I going to write in this lightning round? The discarded knight. As the tension rises in Marine without Daenerys ruling, Barristan counsels the Dornish to leave while they can. The spurned suitor, the Dornishman, throw in with the tattered prince, promising him pentos when the queen returns. The griffin reborn. Landing in Cape Wrath, the griffin retakes... His ancestral family home, lamenting on his silver prince and mistakes past. He plans King Aegon's conquest in both land and marriage. The Sacrifice The Kraken's daughter is guarded by Alysanne Mormont, hostage in Stannis' camp. The knight is a light by Stannis, but she meets a familiar face at the end. You have to know your name. So, Chloe wrote two versions of this, and I'm going to read the version that she crossed out i think that's a wise choice the people need this this version and then we have on the other side of the Greyjoy spectrum brilliant science analyst very very highly regarded genius victorian Greyjoy goes on a research (laughs) journey which involves the important research instrument his dick I mean, you're right. I'm not wrong. <laughs> I did, if okay. people want to know the other version, I will read this aloud. But I'm guys. I'm telling you right now, this is the better version. So you're not missing anything. Okay. So let's keep it going with the ugly little girl. Arya has somehow, seriously, how passed her test and is given her first target in the shipyard. Cersei, too. Haunted by guilt and ghosts, Cersei's penance is displayed across her naked body as she walks from the Sept of Baelor to the Red Keep. Tyrion, 12. 
Tyrion strikes an agreement to join the Second Sons, but all of his party doesn't seem like they'll make it. Tyrion knows that he must turn the tides once more, for the Second Sons are on the losing side. The Kingbreaker. Barristan learns who is and isn't Daenerys' friend in Marine, or so he thinks. This could be every Barristan <laughs> chapter, actually. Just saying. The Dragon Tamer. A frog learns that he's not actually the hero of the story, and he dies in the face of dragon flame. All right, and then I just want to preface this before we get started with this chapter. Just really made me Silver Linings Playbook. And by Silver Linings Playbook, I mean, you know when Bradley Cooper's character reads the book, A Farewell to Arms by Ernest Hemingway, and he gets so <laughs> pissed off that he throws it out the window? That was me many times during this chapter. <sighs> It's an iconic chapter. I was, from John's stupidity to crappy choices to the end of the chapter. I mean, it's just like one throw out of the window after another. Actually, you're right. I didn't think about it. You got to go throw it, pick it back up again, throw it again. You make it all the way across the entire room, maybe across the entire neighborhood, based on how far you throw yeah. the book each time. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I mean, okay, the first time I wrote A Song of Ice and Fire, I didn't... I didn't see a lot of it. Like, I, I, I read it, and I didn't understand mm-hmm. all of those, like, complexities, right? If you guys were with us for the Sansa chapters, you'll know I didn't understand any of the Sansa implications the first time I read these books. Like, I'm it sorry, went, but I don't believe that. It, it did. I had a friend actually tell me, like, oh, like, Sandor and Sansa and how they have a relationship. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, he kissed her. I'm like, when? Like, uh, that was me. That was a person. So I have changed, obviously. But, like, I did not see this coming. I don't know how I did not. Reading all of this now, it's like when you read The Red Wedding, right? Like, you hear all the rain and all the, like, dumb death symbolism. And you're like, oh, everything's fine. We're going to a wedding. It'll be great. Uh, (laughs) Then they all die. Uh, You just don't realize it. And then they die. And you're like, oh, shit. It was right there, man. Yeah. It was all right there. Yeah. Rereading it, you can see John with a huge, like, kill me sign on his forehead. He literally tells them all the time. But, yeah, I think I I don't know that I was as curious. I was just like, oh, okay, that happened. Interesting. And then I was like, all right, we're almost at the end of this book. I can go actually talk about this series of the people now. Yeah, I mean, who kills their hero, right? Like, you just wouldn't have expected it right away. No, not at all. I think George just kind of trained this to, and I had read... Granted, it usually happens more towards the end of the books, but I had read enough Hemingway that I was like, yeah, whatever. Someone died. Carry on. (laughs) Speaking of Hemingway, yeah. Um, (laughs) Exactly. So... Yeah, I I can imagine, like, a younger you, Eliana, sitting there going, huh, Unexpected, but okay, moving on. Next, next book. When do I get it? <laughs> Actually, that act, that is how I felt. I put off finishing this book for a while. I was stuck around, I don't know, one third of the way through dance. And I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just space it out because I don't know what I'm gonna get the next book. And eventually I'll get it. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, well, I think you're better for yeah. it. Look at all the <laughs> friends you meet along the way. But. And Shelly's one of those people, actually, so I didn't share my Shelly story, in which, uh, as people know, I used to have a reread brunch with strangers from the internet. <laughs> and yeah, Shelly came to one of those as she was coming through the city one time, and then we went to the zoo together. Yes, we did. We went to the zoo. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. That's so funny, because like, weird strangers on the internet, but that's kind of what this community is. 
It's that is. Yeah. I know you had a weird stranger on the internet, and now you got a, you're going to get a husband out of it. That's so. true. I met him in real life first. I met him in real life first. So here we are, though. Here we are in John 13, moments away from the big, big finale, fake out, whatever. And we're going to cover John's ranging to hard home. Because that's unlike in the ranging. show, John goes to the ranging of hard home. Yes, that's true. And he dies there and he's resurrected there. Because as you all know, many of the others who died at hard home were resurrected. And that's... <laughs> that's what happens in the books uh, so Solis Baratheon nay Florent would rather John let the free folk at Hardhome die this is it's honestly the funniest shit because like like we said last episode like she's ugly enough you don't have to make her physically ugly because she's literally already so ugly and uh, he knew that this answer was coming. He had to obviously ask her since she's the acting queen. And he tries to level with her about, you know, oh, the thousands of starving free folk and the woman and children. And she's like, yeah, that's so sad. Sucks for them. So sad. Sad. Like, totally like Trump tweeting. So sad. That is silly. Yeah. And <laughs> I just want to say that, like, when I first read this, this chapter, I didn't have any kids, right? And then I read it again, and I have and I have kids now. And as a mom, it just kind of hits you in a different way when you think about those things. And, you know, with everything that's going on today, people just trying to live and trying to make it to somewhere where they have an opportunity to live. And I don't want to get too political, obviously, but there are things that are going on today that are totally applicable, you know, real life to this type of situation. They're not being chased by ice zombies, but it's other things. And so every time I read it, I get a new appreciation for John's decisions and why he did what he did and why he wanted to do it, but he was just kind of dumb. Yeah, that's a really great point. They're all people. Yeah. I mean, that's like the whole entire point of the whole chapter and the whole arc, right? Like, John learns that these are just a people. These are just an entire people that have been shunted away for decades and decades and centuries and centuries. Like, we're not talking like this was a recent decision. We're talking like all these people in Westeros just have grown up thinking this is normal. Like, as a kid, you're like, oh, yeah, and the savages live over that big wall in the north, mommy. Like, that's like normal. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, but you see what they're taught about them through Bran's chapters, right? And the stories that he's been told, like that, yeah, they eat people and all these things. And it's like, yeah, some of them, not all of them, they're not a homogenous entity at all. And I think that's something that really comes through and is great about John's chapters as he comes to realize a lot of them in their complexity. Like, he, I mean, Sir Patrick probably eats people too. So, <laughs> well, not anymore, but spoilers. <laughs> Stannis was like two seconds away from eating people. We might see that with them. We're probably going to see it with other other characters. Honestly, I'm going to throw it out there. There's like a line in here later on where they're like, "Yeah, the the people at Hard Home are like moments away from eating their dead." And I'm just saying, that doesn't seem like the worst idea in a place where the dead are coming back. Throwing it out there for sure. In fact, the smart decision. They don't have food right now. Like I get that obviously to support people, which is what Solis is really pushing. She's like, "Well, we don't have rations, so it's very sad." And she just holds Shireen to her. And she's like, I hope for their rebirth into the light, which means die. She hopes that they die. 
Uh, and then John notices she kisses Shireen's clean cheek and not the grayscale one. Yeah, it's an interesting note because, I mean, Sleaze fucking sucks, first of all, as we've been discussing. Yeah. And that's actually what maybe John's later story is about how much Sleaze sucks. Uh, but I do think, like, this moment where John is saying yes, as, and as Shelley was saying about, you know, the people at Hard Home being people and being able to relate to it on the same level as, like, a mother, which. Clearly I'm not, but like that's what this is coming from. He starts saying to Celise and explaining they're all mothers, and then Celise cuts him off to finish like, and children, yes. And then she's like, I don't give a fuck. And and that's the thing, because Celise doesn't have that sort of empathy despite having her own children. And I think that the reason why people don't look at her as an empathetic character that they can relate to is because she herself doesn't exhibit any towards any of the other characters in the story. She's solely focused on her own family entirely, if at all, or maybe not, because as John points out, she kisses Shireen's clean cheek. And I think that's why this scene is here. And maybe it would have hit a little harder had George been able to fit all the chapters that he originally intended to have in dance. But Celise is arguing that these people should die for the greater good. She's saying that them dying is the practical choice because she'd rather that they die than sacrifice more lives and food. And I think that the story essentially by having that there is then saying, okay, Celise, fine. So what about when it's your child, when it's Shireen against the lives of thousands? Is it different then? Should she be saved? And Aaron's faith is put to the test, as we see in Wins. Uh, soon, Melisandre's will be, and I think that Celise's will be when the Lord of Light asks for her daughter to be the one who's reborn in the light. Yeah, that's extremely fair. Like you, <sighs> Shireen, it, it's all different when it's your kid, right? It, it changes when it's your kid, and it turns out when you're out of King's blood, that changes things too. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, like. As Shelley was saying, she can imagine how it is for other people. It's not just her kid. It's being able to put yourself in the shoes of others. Yeah. So the chamber is also full of people. Shireen, Celise, Patchface, Axel Florent, Melisandre, Devin Seaworth, Melisandre's two guardsmen, and of course, Celise's huge crew. <laughs> oh, that's kind of Liza Aaron-ish, isn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. She does kind of remind me a little bit of like a... Eliza Aaron-esque character in a way, just from the different side of town. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like she is kind of that, uh, she's got that hoity-toity attitude for someone that probably shouldn't. Yeah, that's true. Just saying. That's true. Just saying, your shit stinks. She has, a uh, Narbert, Benethin, Narbert. Maligorn, Patrak, Dorden, and Bruce, all of her dudes hanging around, and John has this little memory about Tormund's reaction to the Queen's guard that she takes everywhere and how big it is. Afraid of being carried off, is she? I hope you never said how big me member is, Jon Snow. That'd frighten any woman. I always wanted me one with a mustache. <sighs> I love Tormund in this more and more every time I read it. Like, Tormund's almost like a Rob replacement with his red hair. John realizes he's wasting his time, and he's like, Alright, well, I'll let the watch tend to this, and Selyse is like, I said let them die, yet you'll persist in this mad folly. Do not deny it. Okay, future good queen of Westeros, just putting that out there. Like, it's very obvious at this point in the story, Stannis and Selyse will not be ruling. You know, like, there's no, they're not, it's not going to happen for them. They know this, right? Has anyone told them? No, I don't think so. I don't think you go out there and fight in, in, in the winter 
If you think, yeah. Yeah, just, there's no, there's no inspiration for me when it comes to them. I don't know. John kind of gets defensive to Selyse. He's like, the wall is mine. So is the decision. And she's like, yeah, well, those decisions will be answered too when my husband comes home to our new favorite place, the Night Fort. Sir Malgorn asks who will lead the ranging, not out of glory, but for the gossip purposes. And Patchface pipes up, dancing around and singing. We will march into the sea and out again. Under the waves, we will ride seahorses and mermaids will blow seashells to announce our coming. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, oh. Everyone laughs, except for John, who is not having a good time. He plans on leading the group because he wouldn't ask his men to do something he would not do. Celise declares sarcastically that this is bold and that some bard will sing a song about him and they'll elect a new lord commander. Ah, the circle of life. (sighs) The next part is such a fake out to me. Like, now that I've reread this with what we know, I'm like, oh, like if I didn't know better, I could have thought maybe Mance actually came home. Which would have made the letter so mysterious, but she asks Axel to bring out the Wildling King, mm. and they bring Garrick of House Redbeard, King of the Wildlings, out. I lose my shit laughing at this now because, like, he's such a prick. He, there's like all this buildup we've had of Garrick being nothing but a lying prick who tries to claim that he's super rich and super famous. He's like the most famous free folk. He's like, I'm a Wildling King, and I'm like, that's not. That's not how that works. Like, Mance Raider is a, a wildling king. You're just an asshole in silk. It's like a complete mummer's farce. And in Davos 2 in A Dance with Dragons, this is basically a complete callback. Because in Davos 2, Axel says, Even dressed in silk and velvet, an ape remains an ape. A wiser prince would have known that you cannot send an ape to do a man's work. So he's straight up being an asshole to Davos. And right now I'm like, oh, Axel is literally leading out a silken velvet ape right now, which is Garrick. I think that tying him to Axel Floyd is really interesting. I would not have thought of that. Axel's a fucking clown. <laughs> fucking no-tail and ass clown. <laughs> Garrick has been dressed in Stannis' old clothes. Uh, Axel would have loved for that to happen for him, wouldn't he? Uh, and he's looking yeah, he fresh would've. and fiery and like a southern lord. And Sully seems to believe him about his famous birth even though john knows that he's actually from a second different line of raymond redbeards garrick <laughs> has given Celise though his eldest daughter to marry axel under relor a real wildling princess allegedly this scene is so funny to me. This whole, like, passage is so funny because they're, like, so over the top about it. Like, Selyse is like, yes, a real wildling princess. Like, just because Val wouldn't marry Axel or wouldn't, like, succumb to, like, what they wanted of her, she's not the real wildling princess. And so we're watching this revisionist history play out with Selyse and her court agreeing with this idea that Garrick is a free folk king, dressing him up out of nowhere in this special wardrobe in a commander's wardrobe, kissed by fire with his hair all slicked back. And this is simultaneously happening with Aegon, right? Uh, With Mm. Aegon VI right now. And with Mance going to Winterfell in the first place, it cleared the plate for them to have a political spot like that open up. Um, And I expect Garrick dies at like the first sign of others or the first sign of King's blood, right? Like how easy is that? 
But it's just so easy to rewrite these histories, especially when the rest of Westeros has no clue about free folk culture and lore. Selyse and her court are basically rewriting this whole culture and giving it a brand new narrative. And, you know, it just makes me think of that Last of the Giants all over again. And I don't know, the second that this guy misacts, they can serve him up to R'hllor, right? Like, he has king's blood. Um, like, he signed his own death wish. You're totally right. That is going to happen. Ah, oh, what a dingus. Right. <laughs> but yeah, about like the looking the part, it actually kind of reminded me, going all the way back again to Ned's story of how he felt uncomfortable, right? And he had to change his clothes in order to try to fit in at court. That's all that really mattered. The stuff that you were saying about Aegon reminded me of that. But Aegon is a good counterargument to that, right? Because they dress him up all right. And people are like, yeah, I think that's a king. Definitely. And I don't know, I've just kind of been wondering, going off of this idea of, like, he's not the king. I mean, how can everyone just not fucking realize that nobody's following Garrick, right? Like, it doesn't matter what his blood is. Nobody respects him or follows him. Like, it's pretty fucking obvious. And I realize that the reason why this isn't, like, throwing up red flags for anyone is because this is exactly a mirror to the Stannis Baratheon slash Florent court. And, mm-hmm. like, sure, yes, he has, like, the Redbeard blood from his, from Raymond Redbeard's brother, not even Raymond Redbeard himself. And that kind of reminds me of all the Reach houses being like, yes, we are descended from House Gardner. And being like, yes, that makes us actually the rightful claimants to the Reach. But the Tyrells mm-hmm. have it instead right now. And I think that's, th- that was a whole reason, right? That was a big reason why there's a marriage alliance between the Florence and the Baratheons. In case they need to pull that rank if the Tyrells fall out of line since they were loyalists. And, like, I don't know. There's blood and law and, yeah, Stannis should be the king because the royal bastards, the royal children are bastards. But, I mean, they dress them up in the Baratheon colors and people seem to think Mm -hmm. that they're not bastards born of incest. But, I mean, still, no one fucking follows Stannis and Stelese. No one even, like, really respects them until much later. I still don't respect Selyse. And they still continue to insist that they are monarchs. They, like, literally believe it. You were saying, like, has anyone told them? You don't got a chance. But Stannis is out there, at least, trying to do something. Selyse is not. She's just playing the part of what she thinks monarchy is. And I think that's exactly the reason why she can't see that Garrick isn't royalty and isn't the king of the free folk. Because, like, no one... Yeah, no one's following him, but no one fucking follows her and Stannis anyway. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah no you make val- very valid points very valid points absolutely i didn't even think about that like any of that reading this at first probably because you know i just was too absorbed with john but you know well you know he does die at the end yeah i was i only thought about it this read through because i was like why doesn't anyone think this is weird and it's like because then they'd have to admit that they're a fucking farce too I'm paying a lot more attention to the clothes in this reread, yeah. even the dude's clothing. You know what I mean? Like, he's actually really putting a lot into it. And, um, I don't know, you look at people like Harry the Heir upcoming mm-hmm. in The Winds of Winter, you know, with the clothing he wears to make himself look like the Lord for House Aaron, uh, and trying to play that part and trying to obviously posture himself. There's a lot of that in this book, and it's something we're going to talk about at the end of the episode in our mini outro where we chat about you know, the end and the whole, the hero dying. Uh, you don't see Garrick, the king of the free folk, dying. 
if you're in the story, you're just like, oh, and now there's a king that our king is championing. But the second that Garrick dies in this story, it's an omen of shit to come. Because like you just said, they're tied to this. They just put him up and said, we believe he's a king. But turns out their regime is bullshit, too. The Baratheons are just bargain dollar store Targaryens that got raised up from bastardry, too. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And also, uh, feudalism's a joke. So, but... yeah. They're all like knockoff Prada bags. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's what I'm trying to say. <sighs> I am Fiji water. They are toilet water. <laughs> what? Nothing. Anyways, so she's Fiji water. Yes, get it right, Eliana. Toilet oh water. God. Toilet water. Wow, that's a, that's a big jump. <laughs> big jumps. I said what I said. <laughs> so the other daughters left over. From uh, Garrick's brood will marry Sir Bruce and Sir Malagorn. John gives them well wishes and then Patchface sings about it. Uh, Patchface sings, Under the sea, men marry fishes. They do, they do, they do. So you've referenced it before. Where is Russia did a post on our ASWAF about the sea meaning death in Patchface's songs. And this one right here makes me think about Cattle and Stark Natoli a little bit. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the last one, we kind of glossed over it because, again, I'm too tired to analyze, overanalyze things, you guys. It's just too much. People have done it. You know, uh, you guys all come to this podcast for something different, I hope. And people have been there. People have done it. Uh, Merman, you know, uh, crabs. People think it's Manderleys and Celtigars, but we'll see. We'll see what happens there. I'm sure it's Manderleys. I mean, it's an easy one. Come on, Patchface. Solis is like, why not make it a quadruple wedding? I decided Val will marry Patrick. Hold on. I, I, I had a thought, speaking of overanalyzing things, is this maybe like going to tie into the movie that I've never watched? <coughs> Four weddings and a funeral? No. No? It is okay. not. Thank you. That's all. No. I don't know what the- I've never seen it either, so about. I have no I idea. it's about four weddings and a funeral, so- It is about four weddings and a funeral. <laughs> okay. Uh, John explains that traditionally free folk women have to be stolen to prove the husband's valor and Patrick is like it's okay I've got a huge dick John settle down Sleaze <laughs> <laughs> uh, is like I'm gonna, I want to fix Val to be fit to be a noble lady and John is about to tell her maybe that's a bad idea because she thinks that your daughter is the walking incarnation of death. But Sleaze doesn't give a shit about anything John says, and is like, you can leave. And truly, Sleaze <laughs> is just an uglier Cersei. <laughs> she really is. She thinks she's smart. She really is. Uh, Melisandra interrupts his leave, and she's like, where's Ghost? I always ask this too. Where's Ghost, John? So John is like, I can't let Ghost out until Barak and his boar Leave to Stone Door because ghosts will attack him and only one will survive. Can't chance it, lady. John's upset that Melisandre didn't pipe up to support his True. raging, and Melisandre says that Selyse was right for once. He can't save the free folk, and more than half of the fleet is already gone. She says her fires tell her that not one man will return. He argues her fires have been wrong before, but she argues she's the one who's been wrong, not the fire. The fire doesn't lie, she just misinterpreted it, obviously. He gives her receipts of her incorrect predictions, which is what I'm going to do when the Winds of Winter comes out, and I search all y'all bitches' tweets. 
And it's, well, I'll be number one. So you'll find me number one since I'm the eternal pessimist. But John, <laughs> John's like those boomers who anytime somebody does something cool, they search Twitter to see if you did anything problematic. He's going to find the receipts. He's yeah. going to find the proof. Yeah, absolutely. He asks where Stannis is and where Rattleshirt is and where his sister is. And Mel's like, you'll get your answer soon, dude. And when you do, you're going to need me. And she says, winter is almost upon us now. I am your only hope. Help me, Obi-Wan. You're my only hope. Oh, my God. Does that apply here, too? I think so. Yes. I don't know. Who can be R2? I've, I've been watching a lot of Star Wars. Sorry, oh, guys. Who would be R2? The, the um, Raven? The- yeah. Yeah, it's got to be. Nevermore. I, I do think that, I mean, this is a big, and it's obviously very, like, heroes, right? Like, he, the hero is John, so you're seeing a lot of this hero-y trope shit around him, but Alice Karstark showed up, and she's like, help me, Obi-John, Snowby, like, you're my only hope! So, same kind of thing, just different. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Obi-John, Snowby. Obi-John. Do you like that one? I, I like do that like one. that one. I really love that. Obi John Snowby. Um, I want to say you were asking where's ghost. The good thing about this chapter is we get a lot of ghost until the time that we don't and we need him. But otherwise, we get a lot of ghost. There was a post on our A Song of Ice and Fire today, and I do feel like I need to call it out right now. Um, so the post was really great. It was called "John Isn't Worth It." I'm gonna read it to you now. If John does become body buddies with Ghost after he dies, how is he going to get out? I doubt John could just decide to go back to his body if it gets fixed, but maybe a traumatic event or the death of Ghost could free John from him. Ghost would be pulling a Hodor-type move, only being there to catch John from falling into the metaphorical ice spikes of death, and for John to get some mystical street cred by dying. I say just make Ghost king. He's a good boy. So what say you to that, Shelley? What say you to the prospect of Ghost? I would definitely support that. I think that would be a great decision. He is the goodest boy. That's true. And Ghost 2020. And forever. I honestly, I'm going for a Ghost and Sansa ballot just because I feel like that would be a good friendship. They could make friends. Woof woof. John leaves Melisandre in the yard and joins Leathers, who reports Torg has returned after settling Torment at Oakenshield. And Tormund's going to return later that day with 80 fighting men. He's exaggerating. Which John thinks is enough <laughs> to get them to hard home, but probably not back. And then he decides how many men do we actually need to take alongside 80? And like, what's going to deter us in our return as we try to bring thousands of free folk and also food to keep them fed. And also they're probably sick. And dying. And dying. Also, like, taking food to feed thousands of people is not easy. Like, it's like carts and carts and carts of animals. I say let them eat the dead. I think it's a practical, in a a non-Solese kind of way. You know, Eliana, maybe another day you could try to convince me. Maybe when we get to the snowy winds of wind uh, (laughs) sample chapters, you can convince me. Just hold that thought. Just hold the thought of (laughs) eat the people. We'll come back to it. Absolutely. So, John asks where Torag is, and Leathers is like, he's with Monster and Val. And then John thinks, you know, Dal is a queen, why not Val? Tormund had once meant to be king beyond the wall, but he was bested by Mance. Perhaps Torag the Tall may end up king beyond the wall someday. 
interesting that he's thinking that there will still be a king beyond the wall, even though right now they're assimilating into the culture. Agreed. But also... I, That's interesting. I do think, yeah, that actually is really interesting. He's like, wait, John, so did you intend to the, for them to be part of the Seven Kingdoms or not? Uh, also, I'm just throwing it out there. What if Torig is just into Val? Like, everyone else apparently is. Why can't Torg just be yeah, like into everyone, Val? Everyone is. Because John feels a weird sense of ownership because he couldn't have her. I guess so. But... Mm. Um, I, I feel like there's some almost foreshadowing here for John as king in the north. And this is weird how I'm going to uh, associate this, but Rob once being king in the north and how he was saying, like, Dalla was once queen, why not Val? He is the younger <laughs> brother. I just thought that was some interesting foreshadowing. And of course, Val's involved. So I'm like, is there any sort of John and Danny foreshadowing this? Because Val's involved. I mean, I think so. I think it's projecting a little there. Um, another. Th- That's a king of the north with a blonde, uh, icy queen. Another thing about John as a king, you know, you know, Torig the Tall. Uh, there was another king mm-hmm. who had a king's guard, with the moniker ending with blank the Tall. Ah, Torig the Tall, Dunk the Tall. Mm. Tor egg thick with two C's. That's it. That's the oh. thought. That's anyway, the thought. Anyway, as my daughter would say, interesting. Oh, that's the cutest. <laughs> that's mm. better, actually. Yeah. That's a better term. Well, yeah, I like it. John looks to the sky and says, "They should pray. It doesn't snow." He makes his way to the armory where he asks Molly and the flea, "Why are you outside instead of inside? It is freezing and windy." Folk the Flea says, Ghost is in a bad mood, or they would be inside. Ghost bit his hand earlier, and John's surprised about that. Folk says he's never seen him in this way, wild and on edge. John enters, and Ghost is pacing. I don't know why he's so upset. He won't sit down. He bears his teeth at John when John tries to pet him. He thinks it's the boar's fault. No. And the bird seems agitated, too, and he's like, snow, snow, snow. Yes. It, it all is so obvious. Rereading it. John, you did this to yourself. So there's an email that we got that I did not put in the emails and tweets of note earlier because I thought it fit in very well here. Comes from our good friend Jimmy, who describes himself as longtime listener, first time emailer. Congrats on surviving, John! Oops, too soon. <laughs> um, oh, man. Uh, it is too soon. He hasn't even died yet. <laughs> About the Borier connection to Robert's death is a great insight I hadn't thought of yet. As you alluded, the boar was an indirect reason for John being killed since Ghost was locked up because of the boar being there and John not wanting to stir up trouble. So I thought that was like a really good point uh, that, that took what we were saying in the last episode further. And really hammers it home yeah, for this episode. Absolutely. With Ghost being locked up, that is the direct... I mean, Melisandre literally just asked him, where's your wolf? Yeah. John, IDK. <laughs> Fucking idiot. John, what do you want to do for dinner? IDK. Fucking idiot. <laughs> Shelly, defend him. Defend John. She can't. I can't. He's too stupid right now. He fucking dies in this episode. She's like, I love God. his stupid, pretty <sighs> face. <sighs> It's so stupid and pretty. (laughs) (laughs) He's never had to be funny or face rejection. Um, He really hasn't had to be funny. You're right. Oh, John. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, sweet, no. sweet, delicate well, okay, I guess he's funny for his friends a little. At the beginning, he was kind of funny and would make stabs at Alistair Thorne, and he was the troublemaker. Oh. Yeah, yeah, he dude. lost all of his sass. Penal colony changes you, bro. <laughs> yeah. Christ, okay. So John asks Satin to assemble Bowen Marsh and Athel Yarwick, the said boomers, and bring a flagon of mead, six cups, one each for John, Bowen, Athel, and of course Satin, Mully, and Fulk, who are bound to be freezing as well. Reminds me of Ned there, Ned taking care of his men. John is making sure his freezing men are taken care of too, not just the uh, higher-ups. Good for you, John. You're a normal person. Everyone gets drunk. He begins to look at maps of Hardhome and notes the land and difficulties they would face on the way. Rolling hills, salt marshes, and of course storms. The snow there is likely deeper than at Castle Black as well. The fastest way is going through Eastwatch to get to Hardhome, and Leathers has told him some of the giants there will definitely help their case. But the way from Castle Black is very treacherous, and you have to go through the haunted forest. The spooky haunted forest. Yes. Marsh and Yarwick enter in low spirits. Yarwick is annoyed about the storm and says he needs more builders to work in it. John offers free folk, but Yarwick is a fucking racist asshole. Sorry, that was just an opinion, but it's true. He, who has personally worked with every free folk in the land for hours by now, says more trouble than they're worth. That lot, sloppy, careless, lazy, Some good woodworkers here and there, I'll not deny it, but hardly a mason amongst them, and nary a smith. Strong backs might be, but they won't do as they are told. And us, with all these ruins to turn back into forts. Can't be done, my lord. I tell you true, it can't be done. He's an ass. Okay, is that can't or won't? Like, that straight up was, is that can't or is it won't? I mean, I think it's a a can't for him. Anna won't. I, I I don't know. I think he's I think he's just an idiot. Yeah, I think he's an asshole. Yeah, he's an asshole. Uh, John pretty much knows what these guys are going to say before they say it, and he says it will be done, or they'll just live in ruins. Yeah, I mean that's true. He's like they they have incentive to do it, but what it, this reminds me of of John like thinking that he knows what they're going to say already is a sort of perversion of ned teaching his children that if you're gonna roll you gotta know your men and john does but mm-hmm. i guess he also doesn't mm-hmm. in a way because he dies at the end but whatever it, but also maybe he kind of does because he knows that they want to kill him and that's why he's been telling them for the past five chapters then just kill me and put a new lord commander so i'm like sadistically excited to get to that part because like I mean, the second they slip out of the shield hall, dude, it's like over. It's like, oh, uh, John lets his glory envelop him, you know, and he like just doesn't even. He's like, I don't care, I don't care, and it's like, oh, John, this is like the one thing you should care about, dude. Yeah, the one time, the ah! one time you don't need to be John's a, like a little uh, whiny brat. John's like the little girl yeah. in Rush Hour, being like, do it, do it, push the goddamn button, and I'm Chris Tucker, being like, whoa, whoa, whoa too much, too much, John, <laughs> chill out. well and i think that's a big decision of why going forward like what will change john right because he's gonna see so many people die when he does come back and as he becomes a king in his own right even if it's just for a bit of time like he's gonna see people die because of him because of his command uh more people he's gonna lose people and like that changes you man you don't want that you don't want to have to say yes or no of who lives or dies and i'm excited to see how that changes but even here uh, John has suffered a little bit of loss, and 
He can already tell that Yarwick and Marsh are bullshit, like in everything they do. He thinks of some of the fucking ridiculous things that they have said so far about the Free Folk. Like, he put Soren's shield breaker on Stone Door, and uh, they complained, It's too isolated. We won't know what trouble he's up to. <sighs> Who gives a shit? He gives Queensgate to mourn a white mask, the chick with the weirwood mask, and he gives Oakenshield to Tormund, and Marsh is like, Now we have foes on both sides. <sighs> and of course, Athal Yarwick is like, if we let Borak move to Stone Door, he's gonna make a pig army because of all the wild boars in the woods. I honestly don't know why anyone thinks this is this is bad. Like a pig army sounds like the raddest fucking thing ever. Like war pigs. I love so it. So great. I'm in. I'm in. Uh... John Astor opinions on garrisoning. Warfrost Hill then and Rhymegate and offers names of more free folk and Marsh says no they're all fit for deuces not castles and Yarvik agrees like racist it's so meta commentary because it's literally like I hear people I would never stoop to work at McDonald's or to work at a field getting lettuce but I sure will complain about who made my sandwich or picked that lettuce and how much money they make Kind of shit. Like, none of you people would garrison these castles. It is just like the Red Hen fable, my favorite fable, right? Mm. The Red Hen, like, none of you came to help me make the bread. None of you were there. Like, what? now you want the glory of it? These guys would not garrison these castles. They wouldn't even go there. And maybe John should have just sent them away. But at the same time, like, he can't even trust these guys at all. He could trust the free folk more than he can trust his own men. And that's saying something. Absolutely. Um, the boomers agree that Selyse is right. John should let the free folk die. And he offers, John once more offers them a chance to give their incorrect opinions about who he should send to Hardhome. Giants? Spearwives to ease the women with Mother Mole? Bowen Marsh rubs his bridges skull scar and says, I really don't give a shit, John. And then follows up with, actually, send them all. Then we don't have to feed them if they die. And you're all is even less helpful. And he says to send torments and he can just save everybody with his big dick. <laughs> uh, true. I mean, Yarwick's got, for yeah, Yarwick's got Torment's number there. Not going to lie. <laughs> Torment yeah. would see yeah. that. Um, I, what I don't get is like, if they actually did want that to happen of yes, send all of the free folk and then they will die. Then they should have just supported John in that moment and not said anything. They would have been like, yeah, Right? Like, if they had been cutting and supportive for two seconds, they would have gotten exactly what they wanted right then. Yeah. But they don't care. Like, it's not about that. Mm -mm. Yeah, they just want to, they just want to moan, bitch and moan, but they, they could have, it could have worked out in the way that they wanted. I'm just saying. It could have, but that's not what it's about to them. To them, it's like, fuck anyone that tries to change this. We've already suffered through this, so why let other people change it so no one else has to? True. They should suffer the same as we have. True. True. Fucking boomers. <laughs> John's like, well, thanks for all your great help, guys. And they all leave. They walk through the armory and Ghost sniffs after them, his tail up, bristling. John, this was a clue. Look at your dog. He knows. Like, I'm so sick of John right now. I wish he would just pay attention to Ghost. If you would just pay attention to Ghost, you would have fucking known. It sucks because if yep. Ghost hadn't snarled at John earlier, like totally fucking up like John's ghost 
senses and radar, like he would have known, you know? His ghost senses that are tingling. But it's all haywire. (laughs) Not very tingly. My brothers! The Night's Watch needed leaders, with the wisdom of Maester Aemon, the learning of Samuel Tarly, the courage of Corin Halfhand, the stubborn strength of the old bear, the compassion of Donal Noy. What it had instead was them. The snow was falling heavily outside. The crowd goes wild. <laughs> it kind of, it's like in miniature, I remember what Ned, I don't know, a bunch of people were lamenting. They thought they felt that the King's Guard used to be full of honorable people debatable but yeah but like and now it was staffed by people that they traitors traitors people that ned didn't quite trust or respect yeah so it's kind of like he bites his thumb at them (laughs) john follows them out into the yard and yarwick comments that the wind is coming from the south burying the ice cells he asks how many men they have left and marsh is like four living two dead Yes, the dead dudes are still out there, have not risen yet, and he announces they need to dig the cells out of the snow. Marsh is like, give me ten stewards and ten spades, and John's like, use one one too. But then they keep digging and John's like, oh, this is falling too fast, it'll be buried by morning. So he decides to have the prisoners moved before they get smothered by snow. Folk the Flea is like, what if we left Cregan Karstark, though? And John's like, yes, I wish we could do that, but we cannot. Cregan has been throwing his poop, frozen poop, at anyone that comes to feed him, howling through all hours of the night. And John's like, we can just put him in the undercellar of the commander's tower. And they drag him kicking and biting out. Cregan Karstark throwing his poop is the one heroic thing he's ever done. Um... Part of me kind of wonders, is John moving Cregan Karstark not just because, like, it's humane and to, like, keep him alive, but also, if he's in a warmer cell, will his poop be less frozen and therefore harder for him to throw? I am asking the important questions in this fandom. Thank you, Luminary Eliana. You're welcome. I don't know, but I'm guessing so. I'm hoping it's... I'm hoping that's what it is. I am. Oh. This what fandom a is that. Shitty situation. Oh. Ooh. Nothing to poo poo at. <sighs> Marsh asks, what Fuck. do we do then with your corpses? And John's like, oh, just leave them. Ironically, later on, Marsh is probably like, what do we do with his corpse? <laughs> I wonder if John is just like, leave him. Oh, wait, he's dead. Torment arrives. The snow shoveling has been completed. 50 men come with Torment, so overstated, as Eliana has mentioned. Icicles are in his beard. He calls for ale, and he's like, I want something hot to drink. And he starts ripping on Garrett King's blood to John immediately, because Torment probably had a couple on the way over, is what I'm trying to tell you. And John's like, he looks kind of regal all dialed up, and Tormund's like, he has a little red cock to go with his red hair is what he has. <laughs> uh, I love Tormund. Tormund giants, babe. Oh, yes. Giants, babe. Tormund has a laugh about Garrick's daughters marrying the Queensman too, and then the bird copies him, squawking, girls! 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 Which Tormund has a laugh about as well, saying that John. Should just give him the bloody bird since he gave him a son. 
And John says, you know, you just eat the bird, so no. And the bird's just like, eat! Corn! 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 The phrasing here is great because it's like, it says eat darkly. And I'm like, oh, cannibalism? Cannibalism by Bran confirmed? Bran's off. Is that what that Bran means? and I are on the same level, you know? <laughs> John returns the conversation to the ranging, but Molly pokes his head out of the door to tell John that Clytus has brought a letter for him. John tries to shut it off until after his four o'clock meeting, but Molly says Clytus isn't looking so hot and he's shaking. And then instead of worrying about how urgent the letter is, the launch into a discussion of Westerosi colloquialisms is. <laughs> Colloquialisms. It's such a hard word to say. Sorry that I did this to you. <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, uh, dark wings, dark words, muttered Torment. Isn't that what you kneelers say? We say bleed a cold, but feast a fever too, John told him. We say never drink with Dornishmen when the moon is full. We say a lot of things. Molly added his two groats. My old grandmother always used to say Summer friends will melt away like summer snows, but winter friends are friends forever. I think that's sufficient wisdom for the moment, said Jon Snow. Okay, that's really a line in this book, you guys. The summer friends will melt away like summer snows, but winter friends are friends forever. A, it's like such a ridiculous exchange. This whole exchange is just fucking ridiculous. They're just going back and forth like... My grandmother used to say this, even though they literally were just told that Clytus is, like, outside, trembling and pale with a letter, like a very suspicious letter. And they're just like, well, let's just trade some idioms for a while. Absolutely. And I also think that this is George's take on and, like, a more universal take as opposed to very specific to the American Revolutionary War. There's there's that line from Thomas Paine when he's talking about who supports the Revolutionary War and who doesn't. And he says, mm -hmm. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. So that's kind of his yeah. take on the idea of, like, fair weather friends. Or maybe he's just talking about fair weather friends. Fuck it. I'm an idiot. Hold on. But I would also venture to say winter friends are friends forever, like the others. Where should I... Oh, Whoa. wow. So should we Thank all become you. zombies and be friends I think forever? that's what he's trying to say, that um, in the end, A Song of Ice and Fire is really just the others that we made along the way. Oh, my God. Together. I don't even know what to say right now. I just <laughs> You're welcome. Um, <laughs> okay, I'll say that. just fair weather friends. <laughs> oh, wait. No, I'll say thank you. <laughs> Oh man, you guys, we're about to get the letter. Clytus enters, trembling and pale, and he brings the letter that frightens him so. The scroll is addressed to Bastard, and it's signed with a hard pink wax smear. Who's gonna be Ramsey? I don't think I can be Ramsey. You're my you're my nemesis if you're Ramsey. Okay, I shall be Ramsey then. You're my nemesis. I forgot I had a Ramsey voice back then, but who knows what it was anymore. What's continuity? Game of Thrones didn't have continuity. Why should it might he? not even be Ramsey? Ooh. Should I read this in like a Microsoft Sam voice? You know, like your false king is dead, bastard. He and all his host were smashed in seven days of battle. No, nope, nope, you should just try a Ramsey okay. voice. <laughs> that was really good, though. I like that. I should leave that in. I should leave all that in. <laughs> 
Your false king is dead, bastard. He and all his hopes were smashed in seven days of battle. I have his magic sword. Tell his red whore. Your false king's friends are dead. Their heads upon the walls of Winterfell. Come see them, bastard. Your false king lied, and so did you. You told the world you burned the king beyond the wall. Instead, you sent him to Winterfell to steal my bride from me. I will have my bride back. If you want Mance Reader back, come and get him. I have him in a cage for all the North to see proof of your lies. The cage is cold, but I have made him a warm cloak from the skins of the six whores who came with him to Winterfell. I want my bride back. I want the false king's queen. I want his daughter and his red witch. I want his wildling princess. I want his little prince, the wildling babe. And I want my reek. Send them to me, bastard, and I will not trouble you or your black crows. Keep them for me, and I will cut out your bastard's heart and eat it! It was signed Ramsay Bolton, trueborn lord of Winterfell. <laughs> XOXO. <laughs> Ramsay. <laughs> oh my god. <sighs> God, John commands Mullion Satin to help Clytus back to his chambers. Wow, now he's being gracious towards Clytus. Clytus Torben wants to know what's in the letter and he stares at it and he's like, John, I can't fucking read this. And he just gives it back and then John reads it to him. I just realized Torben in that moment, that's like Toph. Remember every time they hand Toph something in Avatar The Last Airbender? It's actually my favorite part, John, you silly rich boy. Still haven't gotten around to understanding that like a good portion of existing people in this world are illiterate. Um, I'm also going to just say, like, we're not going to do a discussion here on who wrote the pink letter. Um, nope. That's a whole discussion in and of itself. And if you would like to listen to a discussion on that, may I point you to Maester Monthly, a- another podcast in which there was an in-depth discussion on who wrote the pink letter, bringing in perspectives from all over the internet, and also Bookshelf Stud, who joined us for a Theon chapter back then, did a dramatic rendition and reading that is way better than mine of the pink letter in a Smeagol voice. So, if that doesn't tempt you to listen to it, it's pretty brilliant. <laughs> That's that sounds it was incredible. really good. I'm I'm really glad about that though because when <clears throat> I was reading the chapter again and I was like, oh man, I'm I'm I, I just don't want to get into that, and I hope that they don't want to get into that because people are so passionate about who wrote it and <laughs> was it really Ramsey and. Who wrote it? And was it Manson or Barbary Dustin or whatever it may be? And people are so passionate about it. And I'm like, yeah, this isn't the time. Like, it's time to talk about John and Rip. Yeah, especially because the events, like, happen in such an, like, a succession, right? Like, boom, boom, boom. Like, everything moves so fast really soon. And we, we've kind of mentioned it already throughout John's arc. We've kind of mentioned the pink letter briefly. The only interesting theory is Barbie Dustin anyways, but it's played out. Like, there's just so much more in John's plot in this chapter that we're about to move into, actually, in just a hot second. But first, Tormund and John are still talking. Tormund asks, how, how would this guy have Mance? Because, you know, Tormund saw Mance burn alive everyone and thinks john that. is like glossing <laughs> over that and he thinks about melisandre's sorcery and her warning she saw this raven coming 
John debates the validity of these claims and then decides there's truth in these words, and Tormund asks what he'll do. John flexed the fingers of his sword hand. The Night's Watch takes no part. He closed his fist and opened it again. What you propose is nothing less than treason. He thought of Rob, with snowflakes melting in his hair. Kill the boy and let the man be born. He thought of Bran clambering up a tower wall, agile as a monkey, of Rickon's breathless laughter, of Sansa brushing out Lady's coat and singing to herself. You know nothing, Jon Snow. He thought of Arya, her hair as tangled as a bird's nest. I made him a warm cloak from the skins of the six horns who came with him to Winterfell. I want my bride back. I want my bride back. I want my bride back. I think we had best change the plan, Jon Snow said. <sighs> what a collection of words, man. What a moment. Because that's like the moment... The moment John sees those three girls that Garrick is just easily trading, right? His family, he's just selling off. When Alice shows up at the wall begging for his help against her uncle, uh, he sees his sisters. Wait, he looks at Satin and sees his brothers and some of these other young boys at the wall. He sees Rob and some of these meet leaders that he meets. He sees Ned. Everything in this moment is threatened. He's been fighting so hard against the others because they've been threatening the home that he made. But in this moment with Ramsay, everything that John knows, the only family he's ever known, the only place he's ever known besides the wall has been threatened. This is very emotional. This chapter, this passage right here is why I love this series so much. I mean, it's just so much. I mean, it's just incredible. Like how many relationships these things you can just relate them to your own life and stuff i mean i get chills every time i read that there are certain things that i read that i'm just like george you just did it again man and and that's definitely one of them i just i love it so much i just i'm having i'm having a hard time right now yeah i promised i wasn't gonna cry this entire episode but (laughs) it's just like that's his family man and his home, his family. I think what's so great about it, like, this is the Arya's needle was Jon Snow's smile, right? This is an, this is the corollary to that. And I love that George doesn't tell us why John, he, he doesn't say explicitly why John changes the plan, right? It just shows John thinking about his family. And then John goes, I think we had best change the plan. It's just so well done and written and like everything that's at stake just comes through without him having to say it directly. I don't think he's ever been so sure of something. In that moment, he was so sure. He just knew. And he and like he thinks about it. He's like, what you propose is nothing less than treason. He knows that this is bad. <sighs> well, back on the range, and by the range, I mean at the Night's Watch at Castle Black, uh, they talk for two hours planning this out. Folk and Molly's shift ends, and Horse and Rory replace Folk and Molly as guards. John and Tormund finally come to an agreement about the plans, and it's time to take action. He tells Ghost to stay inside the armory, and they leave toward the shield hall. He thinks he doesn't need Ghost savaging Borax Boar. <sighs> Stupid. Dummy. Big dumb. When the Night's Watch had been larger, uh, the shield hall actually had been decorated with wooden shields by the hundreds. 
Hawks and eagles, dragons and griffins, suns and stags, wolves and wyverns, manticores, bulls, trees and flowers, harps, spears, what is this fucking lucky charms, crabs and krakens, red lions and golden lions, and checky lions, owls, lambs, maids and mermen, stallions, stars, buckets and buckles, flayed men and hanged men and burning men, axes, longswords, turtles, Unicorns, bears, quills, spiders, and snakes, and scorpions, and a hundred other heraldic charges had adorned the shield hall walls, blazoned in more colors than any rainbow ever dreamed of. Ah, once a beautiful, beautiful hall. Um, I love that you obviously know who some of these houses are, right? Yes. I think the one that stands out to me is the one from the Sworn Sword that you get a little bit of that um, Osgrey with the Checky Lion. Yeah. And of course mm-hmm. we get Maids and Mermen mm-hmm. again. So you know there's some Manderly, obviously. The one that I thought was interesting was, of course, the Sons. You get that for Martell. I thought it was interesting that dragons and griffins were put together. I thought so too, especially with the Griffin Reborn being a mm-hmm. chapter we just read a couple chapters ago. Uh, it's like a little winky face, right? And hanged yeah. men? Who's the hanged man? <laughs> House Trant of Gallows Gray. Oh, Marin? Oh. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. It, it is interesting. I didn't really realize it. And Oh, mm. and that's why Marin Trant gave himself his own thing. He was self-made and wasn't he like a lower branch? I don't know. Maybe I'm making shit up. I digress. Either way, we could accept the trants here in this hall in this shield hall, because in this description, which a shield hall is not this anymore, right? It is unfortunately not as beautiful now. There are very few of these shields. It's almost like this dis- this decrepit, long-past Tower of Babel kind of idea from Genesis 11. Um, if you're not familiar with the Tower of Babel, uh, that's basically lost a lot of translation over time, but all these people come together to fight the gods who were casting them apart and judging them. So the others in this scenario kind of work, Stannis works as well. They come together to build a tower to the gods to wage war against the gods. And for those of you listening right now, I will be talking about this in The Subtle Knife when we resume that for his dark materials. So um, get over it. You're going to have to hear it twice. Sorry, but I, I really love the Tower of Babel. So the tower is called Babel because the unified language of these peoples that came together to become one people to go against God, uh, it sounded like a babble. It sounded like babbling. All these people learned to coexist to defeat their common enemy. And at the same time in Genesis, it also perpetuates a story that they actually were just doing their job. God put humans on the earth to steward it, much like the free folks stewarding these empty garrisons. And the problem here is that John is acting as God. And that's why the people want to rise up to kill him, because the common frenemy that Bowen Marsh and all them made was not the free folk like John really wanted, but instead, they kind of took more to Stannis' crew. I mean, I wouldn't say took more, but they, they, they leaned that way, saying, yeah, they're right. John, shut up. I like that you called Stannis the common frenemy. He is the common frenemy, man. He like, really they is. don't really he like is. him, but <laughs> they also really don't uh, like the free folk. So what are they going to do? Be the worst. The worst. the worst. I understand that reference now. Little, little, little John, John Ralphio for you. Ralphio. John Ralphie Snow. <gasps> oh my god. When a knight died, his shield would be taken down to go with him in his pyre or tomb. But fewer and fewer knights took the black as history progressed, 
and there was no need for the Knights of Castle Black to dine apart from the rest of the brothers. Abandoned, the Shield Hall wasn't the best dining hall, infested with cobwebs, the rafters eaten by worms, drafty, a few faded shields left. John had ordered benches and torches and tables to be brought in to lighten the place and give comfort to the men. Eamon once advised him that men with comfortable seats were more apt to listen. John and Tormund stand at the head of the room, Tormund blowing his war horn for quiet. John tells them that he summoned them to make plans to relieve Hardhome and that his ships have failed. They must help or the free folk will die. So John pays attention to his audience during this for just a hot moment. Uh, Bowen Marsh and Wick Whittlestick are hanging out together. Left Hand Lou, Elf of Runny Mud is with them. Othel Yarwick with his builders are nearby. Soren's Shieldbreaker is there, cross-armed. Gavin the Traitor and Harl the Handsome are together there. Borak is there, no boar. Sir Narbert and Benethin, but no other queensmen. And then, of course, Melisandre arrives mid-John's speech in a flurry of red. Uh, John announces he had hoped to lead the ranging, but he cannot now. Torment will have to lead the ranging. Borak asks if John will hang out with Ghost at Castle Black while they do the hard work, but John announces, no, I'm riding south. He reads Ramsay's letter and everyone starts to go wild. Every man began to shout at once. They leapt to their feet, shaking fists. So much for the calming power of comfortable benches. Swords were brandished, axes smashed against shields. Jon Snow looked to Tormund. The giant's bane sounded his horn once more, twice as long and twice as loud as the first time. Jon announces the Night's Watch takes no part in the Wars of the Seven Kingdoms, and that by riding south he does not mean to oppose Ramsay, and it is not their job to avenge Stannis, his widow, and his daughter, but this guy did threaten him, and John means to make him answer for his words. The Night's Watch will make for hard home. I ride to Winterfell alone, unless, John paused, is there any man here who will come stand with me? The roar was all he could have hoped for, the tumult so loud that the two old shields tumbled from the walls. Uh, so Soren Shieldbreaker, the Wanderer, Torag, Brog, Harls, both of them, Handsome and Hunter, Blind Doss, Egon, Old Father, the Great Walrus, all of these free folk. They're all on their feet for Jon Snow in this moment. And then he thinks this line, and it's such a victorious, but like, (laughs) too soon victory, because we know what happens. And he thinks, I have my swords, and we are coming for you, bastard. And just like the venom that he spits in saying bastard there. Ugh. I love it. Yeah. Um, which is quite, which is quite apt, right? Because John's finally accepted that he's a bastard and found his new family. So it's quite fitting that he's using that as a way to throw it back to Ramsay because he knows Ramsay actually still, I I mean, I assume everyone kind of knows, right? That Ramsay still gives a shit about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So John growing, but not enough because, which we'll talk about in a second, because not everyone seems excited. John's not reading the entirety of the room. He kind of is, he's like, I don't give a shit. Because John's now ranging south, and he watches Marsh and Yarvik and all of their men slip out. He doesn't give a fuck, though. He's like, good, fuck him. I don't need him now. I got a new crew. No man can ever say I made my brothers break their vows. If this is oath-breaking, the crime is mine, and mine alone. I put my heart into that for you. You did. Thank you. Thank you. That was great. Thank you. 
So now Tormund is the one at John's side, clapping his back, and tells John, alright, break out the mead, because that's how we're going to seal this deal. And then they're like, we're going to make a wildling out of you yet, Jon Snow, but he's distracted because he noted that Melisandre and the Queen's Knights have left in all of this glory and thinks, ah, oh, I should have probably gone to Selyse first. My god. What would this story be if he had gone to Selyse first? Actually, that would have been smart for once. It, it's like about his fucking, her fucking husband being Like he just taken. announced it to a whole room of people that the king of Westeros, quote unquote, is dead. I would be so mad if a whole room of yeah, people yeah. found out before me that my husband had yeah. died. Not a good move. Mm-mm. That was actually really dumb. That was legit very dumb, other than all the other things that we'll, I'll get to in a second. He leaves Torment to get the free folk drunk. He's like, maybe now I should go talk to Selyse. It's too late. It's too late. Someone's told her, you dingus. Because John continues to have no PR awareness. Because everyone who's agreed to go south with John to make Ramsey pay was a wildling. Right? First of all, everyone already thinks you have wildling sympathies, John. And then on top of that, like, there's a part in the letter where you just admitted to everyone that you were breaking the oaths of the Night's Watch already, on top of all the other things that you've done and have already stood trial for, kind of. And now you're like, now everyone's like, oh, great, we have a letter of proof that John has been meddling in the affairs of the Seven Kingdoms. And then he's going to go south to take Winterfell with a band of free folk and like the optics are just so bad like beyond just the breaking of the O's it looks like John is leading a wildling invasion of Westeros of Winterfell and like I think that's how it seems to everyone on top of everything else like a lot of people have already discussed how John's technically breaking his oaths with all this and then to top it all off Tormund's like we're going to make a wildling out of you yet John like baby boy what are you doing <laughs> What is this? Yeah, and it's the saddest part of all of this is that, like, he's overcome with his glory in this moment. Like, that's literally what it is. It's the first time he's ever, like, done something victoriously and planned something. And it's his first ranging that he's really planning, right? Like, he's like, we're going to go ranging, and now we're on two rangings. And he knows it's wrong. He says as much. Like, he thinks as much. Mm -hmm. We know that he knows that this isn't the right thing. Like, he thinks. He's like, this is treason. This is treason. But he chooses to do it. Mm -hmm. He knows the cons. In the words of Marjorie Terrell from the the Game of Thrones TV show that the books were based upon, Marjorie says, (laughs) Cersei knows the consequences of her actions, yet she is Mm -hmm. not here. Why do you think that is? And it's like... John knows the consequences of his actions. He is standing at the head of a room as free folk cheer him and roar and go, yes, like we're going to do it. And in one move, it's so smart because he's giving them bloodlust and he's giving them action and a reason to like, you know, going off on a ranging and getting some glory. That's a big deal for free folk. They are prideful people. uh, And he knows they don't have that pride. So that right there is an endearing move to where they'll follow him. No matter what, you know, like they really believe in him, but it, it was done for kind of selfish cause. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It's the first time John's like, everything's finally going according to Keikaku. And like, <laughs> so I, I, since we are like nearing, of course, the end of John's um, story life. from what we have, yes, life <laughs> from what we have now, looking back on it, I think that's like 
I, I've never thought about it in that context of before, whenever John's like going to do something that's breaking the O's of the Night's Watch, he's super, he's super torn up about it, right? He's like, oh, I don't want to lay with Egret, but I really do because I'm a teenage boy and things are hard. And like, also he loves her, but all the other times he's like really torn about it. He's torn up about Core in Halfhand, of course. But this is the one time he's like, all right, I'm breaking my O's. I'm all in. And he like, as you said, he feels good about it. Mm-hmm. Stop lying to yourself, baby boy. I mean, that's the growth, right? He's like, I, I did it. I accepted it. We're breaking the oaths. Anyways, it's interrupted by a loud roar, which Horse says is from Hardin's <laughs> Tower, and then a scream cuts the air. But it's not a woman's scream. It's a scream of a man in pure agony. Yes. What you sound that. real jazzed. You sound real I excited. I am real jazzed, dude. The best part <laughs> is yes. that he comes up and like John oh thinks God. it's the whites for a second, which I also would have been excited about. I'm not gonna lie to you. Like that's another alternative where I go yes, but like this is the next best alternative to that yeah. because it's one wag wonder one with Sir Patrick in his hands like a rag doll. His arm is very much so apart from his body. I'm just saying, like, I didn't write this, so you can't be mad at me for it being enjoyable, okay? Fuck that guy, dude. Just fuck him. He was a dick. I'm going to let Shelly take it from here, because this is this is actually, deep down, about football. Yes, it is. And this is one of the things that I'm, I'm good at, football. So, for those of you that don't know, or if you are not a fan of American football... George R. R. Martin is a huge New York Jets and Giants fan, which I personally think is bogus because you should only have one team, (laughs) go Patriots. So one of the most famous football players in New York Giants history was Phil Simms. And his jersey number is 11. One, one, Uh one, one, get it? Uh Because he's a punny bastard. And so Sir Patrick, his house sigil is a star, which is the logo of the Dallas Cowboys. And the Dallas Cowboys are the most hated rival of the New York Giants. So it's kind of like the, you know, classic Red Sox Yankees or Celtics and Lakers. And yes, my comparisons are Boston sports because this is what I am. (laughs) Um, So you have George R. R. Martin's beloved Giants, Giant, just absolutely destroying and murdering Um, His rival, Sir Patrick, which is the Dallas Cowboys. And this all was like a bet between George R. Martin and one of his friends. And he wrote this in there and it was really great. And just a little side note that for those of you who might not know, and this isn't a spoiler or anything, if you haven't gotten, um, you know, your Tyrion chapters in, but there is a part where Tyrion and when they're, you know, going down the river and they talk about Triarch Belecchio and that is also a reference to Patriots head coach Bill Belichick, who George R. R. Martin hates. And um, much like, you know, our friend Jeff from Donacast <laughs> hates the Patriots. And there's a little story about how he was undefeated and just kicked so much ass until he came up on a giant and the giant killed him. And that's a little homage to the Patriots undefeated season until they lost to the Giants in the Super Bowl. So, yeah, the the sports, puns, analogies, homage, they're all through A Song of Ice and Fire if you know where to look. I didn't at first, and I just thought that was really cool, especially for me being a Patriots fan, and George R. R. Martin hates my team. So, yeah. All right, so that's yeah. enough sports. So back um, to you, ladies. Patrick Wait, do you saying- hate the Giants? 
I never hated the Giants. I mean, the Giants hurt my heart when David Tyree had that football, that helmet catch. Hmm. For those of you who watch sports, you'll know what I'm talking about if you're a big football fan. But we're not really rivals, but, you know, it, the Jets are the Patriots' rival, but not the Giants. Hmm. That's why I think it's kind of trash that he has two teams. You show him <laughs> get one. You don't get to choose one NFC team and one oh. AFC team. It's just, no, you don't do that. So. Anyways... I digress. My own tangent, guys. My own tangent. <laughs> I'm so proud awesome. of myself. You should have oh them my gosh. always. And it's interesting <laughs> because so, so uh, Patrick St. Dennis is his friend that he made the bet with. He's a genre blogger. His site is Pat's Fantasy Hot List. And uh, he's reviewed Martin's works for a long time, like not just A Song of Ice and Fire. And they had the bet uh, over who would win their season. And George won his first two bets and he made... Patrick St. Dennis read books that he chose. And then for the third season, he lost and agreed to put him in one of the books. So he had to actually build this up. So Patrick of Kings Mountain is Patrick Mm. St. Dennis. And his death was part of the wager. And Kings Mountain refers to Dennis's home of Montreal, which old French is Royal Mountain. So that's where Sir Patrick comes from, of the mountain. Kings Mountain comes from uh, Patrick St. Dennis's Quebec background. I love it. It just blows your mind that he just wrote all this in for a bet. I just love it. Yeah. I, I I can't believe that he did all that just to kill off Sir Patrick. Truly a legend. Truly. Oh, yes. Absolutely. I mean, the petty <laughs> is unmatched. Yeah. And uh, this is kind of gruesome. I don't remember this being quite so gruesome as this Same. time. Every time I read it, I learn something new. But this was way more gruesome because one one is bleeding and he's like swinging the dead knight and just banging Patrick's head on the tower until it's a bloody pulp. <sighs> ah, like an orange, like a melon. His cloak is all like red now instead of just blue. And there's blood and, blo- blood and bone just spurting everywhere. And everybody is coming outside. Like this is not like a, a secluded area. Everyone is coming out to see this happening. And John is like, I need everyone just to get back, be calm, put your steel away, and like one one tears off the other arm. <laughs> <laughs> At least Patrick can't, can't he feel it anymore. Sad. <laughs> I'm sad. I wish he could. Fucker. Oh. Uh, I don't know why I'm so mean to him. I just really don't like him, and I really don't like Garrick. Something about Garrick. I know what I don't like about Garrick. I digress. Uh. So John is like, Leathers, calm him down. Like, use the old tongue. Everyone, get away from him. Get back. Stop scaring him. And he's like, couldn't they see the giant had been cut? John had to put an end to this or more men would die. This is where John's focus is, everyone. Just to put that out there. I know. Uh, oh, John. Because I'm just like, no, John. They can't. They literally can't. There's a giant tearing a body apart in front of everyone Everyone can just see, like, oh, this guy who's, like, technically on our side, maybe, uh, is dying at the hands of the giant that you promised was going to be gentle. But you know what? George lost a bet. So too fucking bad, John, all right? They don't see that the giant was cut. They don't, like, they don't care who made the first wrong, unlike John right now. John's, like, threaten anyone who makes the first move. I'm going to behead you. John, like, did that last chapter to his own men, right? And um, and because Patrick's body is mutilated, and that's all anyone's like, well, how would they see that the giant's been cut? Everyone's just like, oh my god! Yeah, John. there's literally a burst of a man on the ground. And a pulpy melon head. Oh my god. Yeah. 
Everyone's just like, oh, wow. What? Uh, John sees a glint of steel then out of the corner of his eye, and it's Wick Whittlestick slashing steel at his throat? John's like, excuse me, in front of my salad slash body? <laughs> he twists away from it, so it merely grazes him. And he feels the blood then on his neck, and he asks Wick why. And Wick says, For the watch! Then John catches his wrist, forces him to drop the dagger, and then Wick backs away, his hands up, like, was it me? Was it me? <laughs> yes, it was, Wick! We all saw you! I see it. He's like, yeah, he was like, I didn't make the first move! Don't behead me! Actually, that's what he's trying to do right now, and John reaches for a long claw, but his hands are stiff and he can't get the sword free. <laughs> and then Bowen Marsh stands in front of him. Tears streaming down his face. I'm, I'm not, not ready to do this. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna kill John. You don't want to kill John. I'm not gonna kill John. You guys, we have to kill John. This is literally the end. John dies at the end. Do you want me to kill John? You're Bowen Marsh now, Shelley. This is you, and I'm sorry to do this mm. to you. This is really cruel. I'm a fucking pomegranate. <laughs> <laughs> at least you're not a melon, a smashed melon. You got True. that going for you. Or the watch. He punched John in the belly. When he pulled his hand away, the dagger stayed where he had buried it. John fell to his knees. He found the dagger's hilt and wrenched it free. In the cold night air, the wound was smoking. Ghost, he whispered. Pain washed over him. Stick them with the pointy end. When the third dagger took him between the shoulder blades, he gave a grunt and fell face first into the snow. He never felt the fourth knife, only the cold. So, how's everyone doing? It's good. We're good. We did it. We made it through John. All right, we did. You know what's happening at the same time as this, though? My heart is breaking. Well, that too, but there's another smoking wound. Danny is and there? Drogon. Ooh. Drogon's blood in Ooh. the cold night that and is the true. wound was smoking. Ooh. Yeah. I think it's yeah. cute that he thinks his wound is smoking. John, that's steam. You that's steam, you idiot. <laughs> you gorgeous <Steve>. idiot. Uh. <laughs> John's never had to be smart. Precious Anne. Uh, so someone asked boy. I forgot who was it someone was asking I don't know if they were asking us or someone else like why does everyone describe John as beautiful and I just want to address it's not us it's everyone else in the books like they keep saying that about John I'm like okay hey yeah it's totally not us we're just going off the hints that we've been given going um, off of Craster Craster's my source <laughs> <laughs> literally though not joking Absolutely. so what do you guys think about his hand um obviously we've had such a strong bit of john with his hand like in john 2 in a dance of dragons if he let his sword hand stiffen and grow clumsy it well might be the end of him he knew i think it's interesting and we're definitely gonna dig into what it means what this whole hand stuff means especially as we talk about jamie Mm. later on 
God, I got to give you a um, hand on that one, Eliana. Oh, really, wow. Because that's... Wow. But yeah, like, I mean, it's, it's part of... It's something that signals change in John, of course, right? And comes at a pivotal time for him when he starts realizing what his place is in the real story. And of course, Jamie loses his hand at a pivotal point in his story. And as he comes to realize, wait, who am I really? Yeah. Yeah, and it's definitely very symbolic, right? Because this is the hand he burnt while fighting the white in Mormont's wing. And of course, despite all of his time flexing as the Lord Commander, he is unable to use his sword when the time comes or when he needs to. And I feel like there's definitely something there with like Catelyn with her injured hand as well in the undead connection between them. I felt there was a lot of Catelyn in this chapter, believe it or not. Just a little hints. Little hints, like the dead fish from Patchface's song and uh, the idea of the hand, the hand not moving. Because, I mean, she's lost most mobility in that hand. Yeah, definitely. Definitely some sort of connection. And a lot of people theorize that he's going to meet her again before her end or something. I don't think so. I don't think there's time for that. Because uh, he's going to be dead probably for like half a book. But at least. It would be but, interesting. You know. Yeah, definitely. What, what is it that your your child says? In- interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> interesting. Oh. Yes. Oh. Interesting. John's wound bleeding first, um, and then noticing the pain. So in the next chapter, we hear from Barrison. It reminded Selmy of the first blood welling from a wound. Often, even with a deep cut, the blood came before the pain. Which oh, I see you, George. Yes. Yeah. Which, it is true. It is true. You know, just as humans. You know, just as humans. Bring that nurse stuff in here, Shelly. Why is that? uh, Well, I mean, I think a lot of times, you know, you get the the blood and and you can get cut and then it doesn't hurt until you see the blood. Once you see the blood, then it's real. Then you know it's there. You can see it. You can feel it. I've totally forgot about that quote. And I mean, it's just so extremely appropriate right here in this in this in this chapter right here. All of like the last chapters are so much in a row. Like A Dance with Dragons is a great book, but there are definitely some stuff earlier on that like uh, reading it with the combined reading like Ball of Beasts or uh, Feast Dance. Those are great because the beginning of dance, sometimes I feel like it can gap and I feel like I get kind of bored. But the very end, like once we get. To oh, the yeah. End, these oh, chapters yeah. Holy shit, do they slam. Yeah. It's like boom, yeah. boom, boom. Yeah. Lots in a row. And even Barristan's good. It was good. It was good. Um, I And I think that this is, pointing this out is like super important because as people have said, like, John might not have noticed that it was a cut like at an important artery or something because it's at his neck and that's why his hand's not moving. Right, yeah. The way that he wanted it to. But I think that's interesting. Um, I, I hadn't really known about that. It makes perfect sense that people don't feel the pain until they see the blood. Something psychological about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the human body is like complete, like shock, right? Like it just goes into no. shock. Uh, I like sliced my leg open a long time ago really badly and I immediately went into mm. like crazy shock. I didn't feel it. I just looked down and said, oh, that's a lot of blood, huh? You know, I just, yeah. nothing, nothing. Yeah. Um, it was like a like, raw, that's interesting. shock, numb feeling. So, yeah, and even he says above, he didn't feel the fourth knife, because then he died. So, <laughs> obviously we don't know if it's canon. 
we know it's canon. But John's stabbing and his getting stabbed here for, you know, kind of making a, a treasonous outlandish choice that he doesn't really have the the credibility to make slash it's, you know, against all of the laws and rules of the watch. Will this kind of mirror Daenerys' death? Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't really think of it till now. I really didn't think of it till this. But it was weird. The language, like, uh, almost just the language of how Marsh punched in the belly and then when he came out, knife. Yeah. <coughs> I don't know. Food for thought. Food for thought. There has to be some, there has to be some sort of mirror. Like, there's going to be a line or something that mirrors it. I, I don't I'm, think George could resist. Yeah. I don't know what yet, but yeah, I could see that. And I mean, overall, it's same thematics, right? It's someone kind of overreaching what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, if Drogon also survives, right, it could be like, oh, her <laughs> trying to reach out for Drogon or her dragon or something the way that John's reaching for the sword. I thought you meant oh, as in Quentin. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no. I, that was just a filler word. Sometimes uh, I just say oh. Well, <laughs> um. I mean, speaking of Quentin, John's death juxtaposed against Quentin's death yeah. in the last chapter is something here we should talk about. You get that line, Quentin turned and threw his left arm across his face to shield his eyes from the furnace wind. Rhaegal, he reminded himself, the green one is Rhaegal. When he raised his whip, he saw the lash was burning. His hand as well. All of him. All of him was burning. <laughs> oh, he thought. Then he began to scream. Uh, two chapters, two princes in a row. So for George R. R. Martin, for his fifth book of this uh, originally trilogy, <laughs> he <laughs> killed off two princes in a row, right? But the difference is John is the actual hero of the story and Quentin's not. Quentin thinks he's the hero. John gets to come back. Uh, so if one fake prince can die, I think that's pretty obvious foreshadowing that another fake prince like Aegon can die. And mm -hmm. John coming back against those things kind of proves it. You know, you get the the when you dance with dragons thematics through everything. Yeah. And, and, and there's also like, so first of all, I just realized that the last line of Quentin's chapter is absolutely an embodiment of what Shelley was just talking about just now, right? Of like, you see the blood and then you feel the pain. For Quentin, mm -hmm. he didn't know until he realized, oh, I'm on fire. And he's just like, oh, interesting. Oh. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, Interesting. About that, huh? And you know, we had discussed during the Aryan and Quentin chapters how it's it's Quentin turning his back on one dragon in the same way that Dorne's doing so and not realizing, oh, that's gonna bite them in the ass with turning their back on one dragon. And that's what John did just then. He turned his back on it wasn't quite a dragon, but one of the sort of enemies like that he was juggling within yeah. the Night's Watch and ends up betrayed because of that. Maybe Aegon will be betrayed. Maybe. I, I mean, I'd say getting a can of wildfire lit up on your ass is pretty much betrayed. That's especially true. Especially if it's because mm. of dragons. Maybe Danny betrays him. Oh, Maybe she says yeah. she wants to parlay and then she sees him sitting in her throat and she's like, oh, fuck you. Mm, I'd like I that. Mean, I she did that. do that. Fuck that kid. It's, Fuck that it's kid. within her wheelhouse. She did that with the yeah. masters at Astapor, so yeah. that makes sense. Trickery. 
She's not against yeah. deceit and trickery. She's pretty good at it. Good like, for and, her. And I, yeah, no, I mean it. Like, absolutely, she's very good and clever with that. And so, coming back to Quentin and Aegon again, I'm going to for the four hundredth time uh, on this podcast read aloud Robert Frost's poem "Fire and Ice" in regards to John coming back. So, some say the world will end in fire, some in ice. From what I've tasted of desire, I hold with those who favor fire. But if it had to perish twice, I think I know enough of hate to say that for destruction, ice is also great and would suffice. And I will just say, perishing only once, Quentin. Quentin perishing only once. John, who will probably perish twice. I assume because I assume that maybe he'll eventually die one day, but I actually don't really know how the whole white thing works. Like, do you just like live on forever? Or like when you're resurrected, it seems like it could be the case for Melisandre. I don't know. But anyways, perishing twice. Last lines. Only felt the cold. Ice. God, I didn't even, you know, I'm really glad you think of this poem every single time we do an episode. (laughs) I mean, it's literally the name, Fire and Ice. <laughs> a poem oh of Fire God. and Ice. Well, not to be a downer on this already down chapter, but I just wanted to give you my new favorite quote that I Frankenstein together for this exact purpose, which was, John fought valiantly, John fought nobly, John fought honorably, and John died. Why, Chloe? It's pretty great. Thanks. I have a lot of emotions is why, honestly. What do you think, Shelly? What's next for John? You know, I I don't know. I don't know what's next. I think he's just going to chill. <laughs> On ice? Yes, literally. And I don't know. I, 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 you know, sometimes I wonder if, if we're ever going to get the books. And I wonder if. George is just going to give us a big F you and change it all. I wonder these things at late at night. What do you think? Who do you think is the reason why? Like, what do you think happens? Is it Melisandre that brings him back? Is it? I mean, I guess it has to be. Yeah, I mean, I think so. That's what I've always thought since, you know, probably my second reread. Um, that's what I, that's what I've always thought. I mean, I don't know if this whole John warging into ghost has any validity or if it's just he's just oh i think it has you know yeah oh yeah i mean i don't i don't know and i think that that's the great thing about this these this series is sometimes you just don't know you think you know but you don't i mean a lot of times you can figure it out but truthfully i i gotta think that it can't stray too far from the show but um yeah as far as the resurrection is concerned i mean i i mean it's got to be melisandre but what happens from there i'm hoping that we just get tons of details and it's just amazing and this book that we've all been waiting for for almost a decade finally satisfies that's all i really want it's just a good story i can be okay with you know, not getting the outcome I want, as long as it's a good story. Yeah. Yeah, I could agree with that. I definitely think Melisandre's involved. I think, I don't know, I think Shireen might be gone, but but that doesn't make sense timing-wise. I don't know. I don't know what to think, man. I just don't know. Monster will probably be gone. 
Yeah, we got to see Shireen through Melisandre's POV. Yeah. And so that has to happen separate from John. So maybe he won't be uh, alive yet. Maybe we really will spend most of this book like without John till the second half. I really think that could happen. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, that's what I think. I think I think we could see some of him as a dog. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think uh, that and by that, that I mean happen. a wolf. I really do think we will have a ghost chapter. Yeah, I'm every single time like now that Eliana and I have looked at these so deeply, I'm like, "Oh, I think we're going to get a ghost chapter." I mean, think of just how frustrated he would be all this time he's been in power and been able to affect decisions at the Night's Watch. And I think that would be really interesting for his story and his character because he's been able to do what he wants to an extent, right? Even though the rest of his men are like, I don't want to do that. Well, guess what? As a dog, no one can fucking understand you because no one else is Dr. Do. Maybe Borok could understand. Maybe he talks to the boar a little like, woof, woof, woof. And then the boar's like, snort, snort, snort. I see you. Right? Oh but that's that's the most. That's the furthest it goes. And he won't be able to do anything. Yeah, he'd be helpless. And who knows if the thoughts we even got from him would be, I don't know, would be something like <clears throat> cohesive. You know what I mean? Like uh, to pull much of like, this is what John's thinking. We might not even get that far. We might just get ghosted this and he yeah. went here and did this and that's it. I always think about who? What's going to happen to John's body? You know? Yeah. Like, Davos isn't going to be there guarding his body. You know? I've always... I I think I've always thought about that. And then when we see how the show did it, like, okay, I, got, I get it from, you know. But how's it going to be in the book? They're going to keep him on ice? They're going to burn his body? What's going to happen? I've always... Maybe I've no always haircut. wondered about that. Ooh, yeah, probably no haircut. You know, yeah, I would. That I'd might have no been a haircut. show thing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely a show thing. Yeah, I guess we're gonna have to wait to find out until we get our new copies next week of the Winds of Winter. Yeah, next week mm-hmm. it's coming next and week. Then, and then that's in awesome. Spring the week after that. <clears throat> yeah, uh, you guys should check your subscriptions. You would know that already, obviously. <laughs> uh, if only. If only. Oh, God. I wish. <sighs> so we spent some time just now reflecting on the passage of John, thinking of these little vignettes, these images of his family at Winterfell, uh, and that leading into his decision to store Winterfell with a, you know, with a pack of free folk. Great optics once more. And it reminds me again of Maester Eamon's quote to John. And John this time finally picks differently, right? Of what is honor compared to a woman's love? What is duty against the feel of a newborn son in your arms or the memory of a brother's smile? Which is what John, one of the images that John thinks of. Winds and words, wind and words. We are only human and the gods have fashioned us for love. That is our great glory and our great tragedy. And I think this just like, once more, we've been seeing it throughout these past few chapters and dances and, and storm especially of it seems as though it's not going to be as simple as the television show right where they make it like oh john's killing daenerys because she's i don't know gone like full hitler i think that there's going to be more complexity for john and he's picking partially between of course his two families the two memories the two kinds of women's love those of his sisters those of his aunt lover and 
it's going to be, I think, he's going to pick the Stark side and to protect his sisters, and I think it's going to come down to something more like that. His sister cousins, you know, in the way that it is for the Harls and their children. Yeah. You know, earlier we talked about Silver Lining Playbook, and we brought up Hemingway, and we brought up A Farewell to Arms, and there's this quote that I think really does encompass a lot of what John has gone through in this arc. Um, he started out, you know, a young boy that obviously... He didn't have it hard growing up. Yes, his stepmother was emotionally abusive to him, but he ate. He learns from these boys at the Night's Watch. Hey, dude, you lived an okay life. Time to make something else of yourself. <clears throat> um, and he does. He doesn't sit there being a brat for more than a couple chapters, right? He says, you know what? I did have a little bit of extra help that these guys didn't, and I'm going to work my way up now. And to be fair, he does kind of, you know, cheat at that, but it wasn't his fault. It was Sam's. So I blame It Sam was Sam's. It was Sam's fault for that. But Sam did that because <clears throat> that's Sam's bravery, right? And that's Sam thinks that John is a good person. Uh, he knows John is a good person. He knows that John is brave mm -hmm. and courageous. And this quote from A Farewell to Arms uh, by Hemingway, I thought really just fits John. If people bring so much courage to this world, the world has to kill them to break them, so of course it kills them. The world breaks everyone, and afterward many are strong at the broken places, but those that will not break, it kills. It kills the very good, and the very gentle, and the very brave impartially. If you are none of these, you can be sure it will kill you too, but there will be no special hurry. So, Bowen Marsh, looking at you. There will oh, be I'm no sorry. special hurry, but you're going to die. Did you say broken man? Is this is this about the broken man? Yes, this is literally the broken man speech. <clears throat> is really what it is. But but it's it's talking about you know fighting for the good in the world, which John is. Um, he's fighting for these peoples, for these free folk. Even if he doesn't believe in the assimilation that he's putting them through, he knows it's the only way to quote unquote save them. Mm -hmm. uh, he's still trying, and he's still trying to do the right thing, and. Going south to Winterfell wasn't the wrong thing. That's also the right thing to mm. do. It's the wrong thing for John to do as Lord yeah. Commander. It's the wrong thing right. for the Lord Commander to do, but it's not wrong. I mean, John still did the right thing. And that's what makes him so great. It's because he tries to do the right thing. And even though he fucks up all the time, he still yeah. tries. And that's why... He's so great as a character because he's like all of us, you know, we try to do the right thing, but fuck up all the time. But I mean, and, and that's why I've always just loved John as a character is because even though he was sassy and bratty, he was also, you know, brave and courageous and did the things that people needed to do, but were too afraid to do so. I think that he made some pretty stupid choices, but he made the choices that he made because he thought it was the right thing to do. And at the end of the day, that's really how we should all live our lives, right? Just do what you think is right. Yeah, do your best. Just get your gold star. Yeah, and you know what? Sometimes John might not have been the most interesting all the time, right? Maybe he wasn't always very um, vast, so, so to say, but... He always tried, and I always give him his gold star sticker, and I think that's all we can ask of him, especially because he's dead. Ow. 
Wow, <laughs> you really ended it there. Yep, just wanted to make sure we yeah. remembered that we killed John. We killed John Snow. <sighs> and yeah. she made me do it. I know, I made you do it. <laughs> I, I invited uh, Shelly on here, and I was like, here, here's the knife. You do it, Shelly. Yes. Uh, push it in. Well, Shelly, what are your final feelings on this chapter? On John, tell us. And uh, thank you so much for being on with us. We have, Th- we're so excited to have you. Thank you for having me on. Um, it's been great. My final thoughts are... I can't believe this is the last John chapter. It was very hard for me to keep reading and realize there wasn't going to be a John chapter. I kept thinking my first time I read the book, oh, well, he's 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 okay. Like, he's just going to pass out and then, you know, his body will go into shock, but, you know, he'll be fine. But then you read and there's no more John. So... My only thought is that, and how I try to live my life as me, is you just have to hope that you're going to get the answers that you want. And you have to just keep holding on to the hope that you're going to get the answers you want, the book you want. And I'll, you know, that's another day, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Next week. It's next week. Yes. Yeah. You know, so this is a tough chapter for me. I like that it's not a particularly like, you know, super long chapter because it's so meaty and it has so much in it. And I just can't believe it's over. I mean, this John POV with you guys has gone on for so long. I can't believe it's over. I'm oh just... God, nope. me either. I'm, I we mean, thought it was going to be done before, but yeah, agreed. I'm just... Uh, and I'm bummed about it, though, because when you guys told me, you know, when I found out that you guys were doing John, I was like... Yes, I was pumped. I was psyched. I couldn't wait, you know? <laughs> and now, Ugh. what is life? I know. I don't John know Snow? how to feel. Yeah. I do it's feel true. a little lost. I really do. Um, we kind of slowed down doing our John chapters and started doing, you know, just one at a time. And I think it was worthwhile to do so because we've just caught so many details I don't think we would have caught stuffing a bunch together. So mm-hmm. I'm glad we took our time. I really am. Me too. Yeah, I, I think we thought we were going to be done earlier, but now, uh, as you said, it, this has been our life for like a, a couple of months. We ended the show with John yeah. as our POV, and I'm just like, okay, I kind of forgot how to start a new POV. Like, what is that feeling like, meeting someone new once more? Like, we just got to know John so well, and I think that's part of why we had to slow down, because, you know, you get to a fifth book, right, and there's so much to his story, and you feel like you have to slow down because there's so much that's being built into it and i think that's something that that really comes through with doing the pov read through and especially john's like there's so much that comes that's that's being built on each time the story is like a house and well and i think it really just to summarize it best is the quote from earlier in this chapter summer friends will melt away like summer snows but winter friends are friends forever so you guys have been our winter friends. Forever. Forever. I'm gonna put forever. you, we're gonna kill you kill you all and bring you all back from the dead so you can be with us forever. That's not what we're doing, Eliana. That's you can't just tell them that. That's so when you said when them. you subscribe for thirty dollars and up, <gasps> you too can be killed. Be part of our army of the dead. Shelly, tell everyone where they can find you on the internet and follow your hot takes on yes, footballs yes. and John. 
You can find me at the Lady Shelley on Twitter. Heck yeah. That is at the Lady Shelley. Yes, and you can you can find me for some for some takes on football for all things craziness, Jon Snow, you name it. I'm there. I really don't understand your football tweets, but I respect them and I think that's what's important. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, I see you. I see you. Well, as always, thank you guys so much for listening into us. Uh, we finished John. This is it. We'll come back to John someday. We will. Someday. Probably. Right? Maybe. Tomorrow? I hope. Next week? Not next week. But you can tune in in the beginning of February to hear us talk about Jamie Lannister. Uh, we'll be taking a week off, but we will be back back in action back in white not back in black this time what is up with that on the 7th indeed and so keep up with those uh, announcements we are going to of course do our historic materials podcast the last week of january and you can know when all those happen by following us on twitter at girls gone canon c-a-n-o-n or maybe you have thoughts maybe you too would like to mourn the end of Jon snow question mark question mark question mark and want to send us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Make sure you're subscribed to us on podcast platforms across the internet. You can find us on Spotify, on Google Play, on Apple Podcasts, on Podbean, where we're hosted, at Acast, on Stitcher, you name it, we are there. And of course, we do have a Patreon where you can subscribe and be resurrected at Patrons, Chloe is shaking her head, patrons $5 and up don't have to miss out on one more A Song of Ice and Fire episode this month, because our Patreon episode this month will be about the Maiden Vault. Yes, those sassy three sisters locked up in that vault. Wow, that came off a little weird, I guess. shitty other parts of their family that were like, yeah, yeah, that's fine, they can be in a vault. Like their brother... Anyways, find out more about that at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, as we said. And as always, thank you so much for listening in, you guys. I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. And thank you so much to Shelly for joining us and closing out this months-long journey. Yes, thank you, Shelly. My pleasure. Thank you, thank you, guys. Ugh, they never felt the fourth knife. Wait, fuck, only the cold. Damn it, it's really fucking cold. I can't help why I'm like this. <laughs>